Well, good morning. These are the people that sailed here this morning, right? It is good to see each of you. I ask you to open your scriptures to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And I'll be with you, Lord willing, this morning and then next Sunday. And next Sunday will be more of a what God is doing in the world sort of focus. Uh, Today, because of the Lord's Supper, I just wanted to kind of draw our affections into the, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin, and the restoration that He provides. Anytime we walk in and we see the elements, we need to be reminded, we do this in remembrance of Him, uh, how that on the night He was betrayed, He took bread. And He broke it, and it was a picture of what He was about to do for you and for me. And then He also took the cup, which signified His blood, and He said, this is the new covenant. This is the agreement I am making between you and me that it is His body, a new covenant. Um, I was thinking this week how we live consistently a life of repentance and faith, right? We, we keep fighting and we keep turning back to God because we believe certain things are true about Him. He is faithful even when we're not. He is good when we're not. And so we believe these things to be true about God. He is King and Savior, so we fight and we turn to Him. And that's what the Lord's Supper really confronts us with, is a, an opportunity Regardless of what the last seven days or month looked like, we turn to Him because He is a good God. This morning I just want to talk about lost and found things. When Isaiah asked me the title of my sermon, I I, I had forgotten last night he lost his iPhone at McDonald's and within an hour somebody had already taken the SIM card out and, and made that phone theirs. And so he kind, of, he kind of gave me his Isaiah giggle this morning, and he goes, oh, that's a timely sermon. Uh, so his phone was not found, right? And you can feel the loss and the desperation. So we, I opened up my safe, and I got him out like a four-year-old when I said, here you go. <laughs> I hope it still holds a charge. Luke chapter 15. This is the setting that is the platform then for three parables. Parables are simple stories, usually with a single truth, that are formulated in a triangle with one authority figure and and typically two subordinate figures. The context for these parables, however, is striking. Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors, we have those in our day, and sinners... We're all drawing near to him, to Jesus. Basically what you have here is a mini revival of the people that were considered the worst and the dirtiest in society. They were actually attracted to this man named Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Right in another place they called him what? A friend of... And that's good news. Because Scripture teaches that all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And we still do that even after we've experienced new birth. We still still fail Him. 
And so what should have been a point of praise turns into a point of grumbling by the religious leaders and the lawyers. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, so think about their grumbling. God has appeared in the flesh to dwell among us, to show us that He is full of grace and truth. He seeks sinners and He eats with outcasts. And the religious leaders of the day fail to see how that's good news. By the way, this is what Jesus is like. He is near to sinners. Did you sin this past week? That does not mean He is far off. Because He is a friend of sinners. He seeks and saves lost people. And sometimes even as Christians, we wander. We try to put as much distance between us and Him. But the Pharisees and scribes aren't praising Jesus as Lord and Savior. They are fixated on what? They're fixated on the company Jesus is keeping. So their criticism then becomes this, a springboard for this trilogy of parables. Parables are about contrast. It's kind of hidden, and then right at the end, it kind of jumps on you. So in Luke chapter 15, verses 3 to 7, a shepherd has a hundred sheep, but one goes missing. He is talking to the Pharisees who are grumbling, and he says this in verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, right? They're safe. And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. By the way, that's the pursuit of God for sinners. There is a sheep that goes missing. He is in danger. He's out in the wilderness, and the good shepherd seeks and saves him. And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Verse 5, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. It's this beautiful picture of bringing this one lost sheep back to safety. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Well, where's the contrast? And in this parable, verse 7, just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Repentance is for the joy of God, the joy of heaven, the joy of the church, and the joy of the sinner. When we invite people to repent, we're inviting them to experience the joy of God anew. The second of three parables, look at verse 8. A woman has ten silver coins, but one is lost. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And isn't that what Jesus came here to do? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. The contrast, verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now following those two parables, Jesus will now go into much more detail about probably the most famous and well-known parable of all time. We know it as the prodigal son. It's actually not 
a story about one son, but two sons and a father. The parable exposes wrong ideas, because remember, who is in the audience? The scribes and the Pharisees who are saying, he's eating with sinners. What kind of rabbi, what kind of holy man would actually bring himself down to the point of eating with dirty people? Well, he's the same kind of teacher and savior who sits at a well when a half-Jew, half-Samaritan comes along who has a sketchy history. And he introduces to her the water of life. The story is about two sons and a father. Arland Holtgren says this, What is so striking in this parable is Jesus dealing with each of the sons is that he extends unconditional love prior to repentance. Indeed, even apart from repentance on the part of either son, the father consistently shows unconditional love. We're going to see that in just a minute. I have chosen this particular parable because I believe what is happening in this parable shows to us the beautiful message of Jesus, the good news, the gospel of grace, the joy of repentance, the forgiveness of sin, and a relationship with God the Father restored. First, what is Jesus teaching? Well, the most obvious and the point that that we all think of is the younger son who what? He asks for his inheritance. And he bolts and he leaves town. He wants wealth, not the father. He wants the inheritance, not relationship. We can be like that. Sometimes we want religion or we want the blessings of God without a relationship with the father, without a closeness with who God is. And the grace of God allows a sinner to repent no matter how far they wander and how deep into trouble they get, no matter how much they dishonor the father, the Father will welcome them back. And we remember that story. Why? Because we can relate with it. Because that's our story, if we're honest. Second, and often overlooked, you have the other son, the older son. And sometimes in the parable, we we so respect him for staying at home that we forget that he actually treats the Father in almost exactly the same way. And third, and maybe the most beautiful point for us to focus on this morning, is the character and patience of the father towards both sons. The lost sheep is found. The lost coin is found. The younger son is found. But where is the older brother? The the parable ends abruptly, and where is he? He is outside the home refusing to go in. So there's actually only one character in this trilogy where there's no proof that he was found. And it was the self-righteous older son who stayed at home. Well, let's look at verse 11. We'll just, we'll just look at this in three, really three quick points. And he said, verse 11, Jesus is teaching here, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger then said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In essence, I want wealth more than you. And he divided his property between them, which typically did not happen until death. And so this was a premature divvying out of the inheritance. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property 
in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, that's what sin does. It turns princes into paupers. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, something happens in his heart and in his mind. He says this to himself, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. He's playing out this scene of return in his mind. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's what repentance is. It's saying the same thing about your sin that God says about it. And we believe certain things to be true about God, so we turn to Him, faith and repentance. It's interesting that He confesses without conditions, without qualifications, without excuses. And notice the humility. Remember, Jesus is telling this story. Notice the point Jesus makes in verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. True repentance is always found in the company of true humility. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He made a plan, and it says in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. And we love that story because we get to see the father's welcome. That's the second part. Look at verse 20, uh, the second half of verse 20. And really, this is a beautiful picture. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I'm sure he stunk. I'm sure he was dirty and foul. And the father runs to him and shows Compassion. The Father is looking and waiting to receive you. Psalm 103.13 Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. In April, two of my daughters came to Denver International Airport to pick us up after we had been gone for seven months. And we were at the baggage claim, and they went somewhere on the other side, and we finally texted and found uh, where we were going to have this rendezvous point. And both parties ran to each other. The sweetness of a father's return to those whom he loves. And it's not like, I'm going to let them run up to me, or I'm just going to video this. I mean, we both ran up and embraced and, and kissed one another on the cheeks and didn't let go for a while. Do you know that is a picture of what the Heavenly Father does to sinners? He saw this child far off and he went to him. Look what he says. He follows through with his plan. Look at verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice his His heart had already changed. His heart didn't change the narrative simply because he was already received by the Father. He's not like, oh, wow. No, he actually still said, I'm not worthy to be called 
your son. He's essentially saying, I will earn my way back. But the father extends grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. And he basically says, you're home. How do we know that? Because of the robe, the ring, the shoes, the party. These highlight the extension of his restoration. Look at verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. By the way, you know what John chapter 3 calls that? (laughs) Being born again. New birth. Death to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That is all but one person. And that's the one we tend to overlook. But there's a contrast in a parable, and it's the older brother's response. So look at verse 25. And by the way, go back in your mind, go back to verses 1 and 2. Who was grumbling? The scribes and the Pharisees. They had a certain idea, a certain paradigm of this is how we relate to the Father. And it was externally religious and it had to do with titles and do's and don'ts and keeping of the law. Remember who the older son is in this parable. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, verse 26. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, But he was angry and refused to go in. Now in the other two parables, I find it interesting that that Jesus included there was rejoicing where? I mean, yes, they called their neighbors and they called their friends and there was a party, but where was the rejoicing? In heaven with the angels and with God. It's interesting here, there is rejoicing and the Father comes outside and entreats Him to join the rejoicing. But He says what? No. It's almost as if there is a depth of depravity in external religion that would rather not even go to heaven and be with God and celebrate because we're angry at God for accepting sinners. That we actually think he's unjust for showing immense grace. That we actually fall into condemnation on the Father. A self-righteousness that is so disgusted with grace that it would rather not enter heaven. Look at 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Interesting, the father pursues both sons. He sees the one son far off and he runs to him. And here he realizes the son is not inside and he goes out and entreats him. He's pursuing both sons. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I've worked. And I've never disobeyed your command. I've observed your rules. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, not my brother, this son of yours, notice the hollowness of relationship. 
It's actually going to resurface with the Father, the hollowness of relationship. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? Notice what the older son is doing. He's rebuking the father for showing mercy and grace. He's accusing the father of being too kind, too forgiving. Verse 31. Remember, Jesus is telling this parable. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I love what the father tells the older son. All that is mine is yours. You could have had it at any time you wanted it. But the older brother fails to realize this was a very special day for the father who needed to have this son who was dead restored. And if you go back, who is drawing near to Jesus? The sinners and the IRS, right? Well, it says tax collectors, right? But, you know, they're, 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 they're around Jesus. They, they're not repelled by Him. There's something about the Word made flesh that they want to be in the presence of. And the ones who should have been supporting this and recognizing Jesus as the Messiah are sitting back and going, this is ridiculous. And so He teaches this, this, this parable at length And here's what the problem was. The the older brother was fixated on his own righteousness and on his inheritance. He is squandering the inheritance that the older son knows is supposed to come to him. The older son cares about things, not the father. He talks about his righteousness and service. He cares about the estate, the inheritance. He does not care about two very important things. His brother... Or his father. Leon Morris writes The proud and self righteous always feel that they are not treated as well as they deserve. The picture of God's grace is this both sons wanted their own way, not the father's way. Both sons were received by the father, both sons were met by the father. One son goes from death to life. One son stays outside. And the parable brings no resolution. It's almost like he might have gone in inside the home. He might have submitted to the Father. He might have honored the Father. But we don't know. But what we do know is the one son was restored and celebrated. As with the story about a lost sheep and a lost coin, the lost son drives the point home of the joy of the owner at finding what was lost. Two lessons as we move towards observing the Lord's Supper. First, let's rejoice in the initiating love of God. The Father not only goes out to both sons, He goes out to you. He seeks and saves the lost. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, which is what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing in Luke 15, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Know that the Father would receive you in Christ, 
because of the forgiveness that is offered in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But second, we need to search our own heart and repent of our sin and our self-righteousness, which kept the older brother from going inside and relating to the Father. Younger, wayward children can come home. The Father is waiting. Older, self-righteous children can go inside. The Father is entreating. David, a believer, a mature man who transgressed the law of God, knew the bitterness of a sinning saint. He said that God's hand was heavy upon him. He says that his bones wasted away as in the drought of summer. There was this invisible, divine hand upon him. Two of the Psalms that David would pen as he repents and turns back to the Lord are Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. I just want to read the first two verses of Psalm 32. It's an exclamation. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Three terms for sin in those two verses. Rebellion, failure, and perversion. But what's beautiful is there are four other terms. Forgiven, covered, counts no iniquity. It will not be charged to your account. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalm 32 tracks David's return. And then he invites you in the final verse of Psalm 32, verse 11. And listen to what he says. Be glad in the Lord And rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. He goes from mourning and crying to rejoicing and shouting for joy. You know that God's mercy and forgiveness is nowhere more evident than at the cross of Jesus Christ. In a second, Brother John's going to come and lead us in communion. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 26:28, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1:7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And finally, listen to what God does to a person who trusts in Jesus. Acts 10:43, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him, receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Come home and come inside, for the Father has invited you in Christ.